Hello, my name is Tina Stoll. I'm also known as Baroness Stoll of Beeston, the former leader of the House of Lords. But this podcast is where I talk to people who don't very often get heard. Our fellow Brits who work hard, get on with life, are quietly successful and from whom we can learn a lot if we listen to what they've got to say. These are their stories, hopes and concerns about the world in which we all live and how they think it could be better. Welcome to today's Britons. Today I'm talking to Fabian Rad McAndrew, who is a hairdresser from Germany. I don't want to take up unnecessary time before rolling the tape because I will explain how we know each other and why I wanted to talk to him when he joins us. So for now, I will simply say that we talk about technical training and manual work. But at its heart, and I think the theme which shines through this conversation, is the importance of attitude to achieving our goals. I hope you enjoy listening to what Fabian has to say. And I'll join you again briefly at the end. Hi, Fabian. How are you doing? Hey there. Very good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. So I'm speaking to you in Amsterdam. And just by way of introduction and explanation, you are currently a customer service manager for an energy company. And I know that certainly from the last conversation we had, you are thriving and enjoying your new life over there in Amsterdam. But it's certainly quite different to what you were doing until only 18 months ago, because at that point, you were my hairdresser. I mean, you were lots of people's hairdressers, but you were you were my hairdresser here in London, where you had owned your own salon for the previous eight years before you decided to sell and move away. And we'll talk a bit later on about your decision to sell up and to move on after those uh, successful eight years, because I do think it's quite a powerful example of the way that officialdom can sometimes overlook the important contribution people make. But I'm also interested in this conversation to hear how you got into hairdressing and came to London in the first place. I think that's probably the most important thing I'm keen to sort of explore because first of all, you're German and uh, were born and brought up in Germany and did all your professional training there. And as you will be aware, because we've talked about it before, here in the UK, um, we tend to revere Germany for its technical training because we're told that your technical training in Germany ranks high alongside academic schooling. And at the moment, one of the things that we're getting to grips with in the UK, long overdue, is with technical education provision and identifying it much more clearly as a route to success. Why don't we start with you describing what made you go down that technical route in the first place and whether your decision was a big deal for the people around you, your family or others? All right. Well, in Germany, we have a a different schooling system, but the manual labor system as such is seen as highly regarded, I guess, as the academic route. But if you're in one of the two, the other will seem like a very far away island as such. I went down the academic route because so has my family and my sister. She was always paving the way for me as such. So it was natural for me to do the same. I then decided to do hairdressing because 
well, I've, I've always been passionate about styling and I always had a great eye, but I also had a lot of people skills where I thought being some customer facing job will really fulfill me because I love making people happy. So I actually dropped out of my academic route, which was frowned upon at first. But once you're in that technical route, it was eye opener because there was a lot of respect for the job and there was a lot of support to become a success as well as or as much as someone who would have gone to university. So your parents were probably, it sounds like your parents may have been a little bit disappointed that you didn't complete your academic schooling or complete your schooling via the academic route. But once you'd made that switch over to technical training, you weren't considered to be doing anything which was inferior, as in the disappointment was because you were doing well in the academic sense and perhaps some confusion as to why you didn't want to stay in that. You tell me if I've got this wrong, but not because there's some sort of inferior type of impression that people have over learning a skill and earning one's living through having that skill and developing that trade. No, that's true, of course. Um, I think my mum, she was a bit of disappointed at first, but then she was happy in the end because I could make her hair beautiful. But at first, the academic route is a bit longer. So she was more kind of annoyed for me in a way that I've spent another two years in school where I could have already had switched over to the manual route and become um, ahead of her quicker. But for those who you were learning alongside in Germany who hadn't started down the academic route and then switched, you know, how did you compare with them? Was there some sort of discrepancy between their academic ability and yours or, or not? I think it, it, it probably was from my side because I had come from the academic route and everyone there would have kind of gave me the impression that everyone else who has already started doing the hairdressing schools might have been younger than me, might not be on the same level that me, that I am. But in the end, what mattered was your skill in the hairdressing school. So everyone that I was in school with, it was more about the talent, how good you were and how much you wanted to succeed rather than where you came from. It was more about what do you want to do with it? Did you get any business training as well in order for you perhaps to think about and consider setting up your own salon? I mean, I, I suppose what I'm trying to get at is, did you feel that it wasn't just about learning how to cut hair or color hair or do makeup, but actually how to be successful in doing that and to take that seriously? Yes, absolutely. I mean, in Germany, the training is three years long to become a hairdresser. Once you start, you can shorten it, in my case, I did as well, to two and a half years if you are kind of good enough to do so. But as part of the training is also a lot of business, a lot of kind of, you know, we have German language courses in the same teachings. You know, you, you learn about business, you learn about managing, you also learn about ingredients of products, you learn very chemical things so that you are equipped to basically leave school to be a salon manager because you know about the business side of things, you know about problem areas in terms of allergies, you learn about stock decisions with products, what, you know, what, what in terms of math, what, what's the most productive way to run a business. So I felt like I was leaving the school equipped to open a salon, even though it wasn't my wish at the time. I hadn't just done hairdressing purely but, you know, I think our graduation day was like a, a full day of, of tests of math, German, biology, chemical. It was, it was a lot of intensive knowledge that you had to show. And only a small part was actually your, your technical ability of doing like a perm on, on the spot. It was at least 50-50 
importance to the academic side of hairdressing as well as the physical side or the manual side. So you graduated and you decided you wanted to come to London and work. So what made you want to come to London? Why, why was that? Why leave Germany? So I wanted to leave Germany because I really wanted to learn English to the most the perfect level possible. America, of course, was another option, but going to London was much easier. I then went to London for a few interviews and quickly realized that German hairdressers are highly regarded as well because of our manual labor. I think in the second interview I had, somebody said to me, Fabian, German and French hairdressers are seen as the top in terms of technical training. There was a lot of expectation for me to also prove them right. But it was good to come over and well see that somebody valued where I came from rather than just kind of say, oh, you know, he's German. We don't really know much about him. So I was happy that people gave me a chance and I had quite a good response. Good. Well, I'm pleased to hear that. I mean, it was a big step for you because you were only 21. So, you know, I mean, you came over here and you didn't know anybody and, you know, got to find somewhere to live and, you know, quite a big thing. What year was it when you arrived in London? Remind me. I was in London, I think maybe at 2008. Right. I mean, you arrived after, I mean, it was probably about, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 years before that, when suddenly hairdressers, there was like a celebrity gang of hairdressers. You know, I mean, I don't know if you've heard of people like Nicky Clark of and course. John Frieda and these are way after Vidal Sassoon. But there was a time at which, you know, there were some sort of big fancy salons in London the hairdressers were almost as famous and as shishi as the models that they were sort of working on. But still, I think, you know, outside of them, a kind of attitude you'd sometimes hear, which is, you know, sort of, oh, you can do better than being a hairdresser. Do you know what I mean? You know, that yes. sort of thing. Especially because you just mentioned, I just have to put this one in because you mentioned one of the Clark brothers and I have worked with one of the Clark brothers in one of the salons. And I didn't realise there was a brother. <laughs> there's also a brother, there's two of them. And these are high-class salons in London. So, you know, you, you'd see the people who want to work, they're even the trainees, you know, you don't come with, because you have to wear... A proper outfit you know you can't just come in your tank top you have to wear a nice shirt you have to make sure your shoes are polished you can't come with dirty shoes or trainers because like you said you have to believe in what you do but you also and i think this comes from also the german training and people like the clark brothers and john frieda who have a similar standard it is important that other people meaning your clients and surroundings they know that you believe in yourself it's good to believe in yourself but you also have to make sure you portray with your cleanliness, your timekeeping, your kind of posture, even just the way you stand, I was taught, is how you make sure you kind of, you're proud and you stand amongst the lawyers, the doctors. If you're unsure, but you believe in yourself a little bit, it's fine, but you also have to make sure you really portray that. But I think that's really interesting that you say that you were taught that. So were you taught that at school or were you taught that by other people that you worked with back in Germany? I think the first person that taught me that was probably my dad. But yeah. even in hairdressing school then, because the teachers in hairdressing school, they probably know that, you know, there's a hearsay that, you know, for example, hairdressers, you know, in our school building, you'd have chefs, you'd have all the manual jobs that were really important. I mean, I love going out for dinner, so I appreciate a great chef. But the teachers would know that the job is as valuable as everyone else. So they would tell you when, you know, there would be chitter, chatter, or somebody would joke a lot. They would say, no, this is serious, you guys. You know, we're not just 
cutting a bit of hair, the haircut itself is like a technical masterpiece as such. And it's all about angles and certain ways you cut things. A lot of people think it's just a haircut, but in Germany, it's a piece of art. Yeah. I think it's important and interesting that, you know, like you say, whether you are a Nikki Clark or a Fabian Rad McAndrew, you know, I mean, it's, you've got to succeed, you know, you've got, there are certain attitudes and principles and standards that will see you through whoever you are and whatever you do, whether it's as a hairdresser or whether it was me as a secretary, you know, and I think knowing that that is something which is a feature of learning in Germany, as well as what you may have learned from your own family. And I'm the same. I mean, my family sort of, you know, really go on about this sort of thing is a powerful combination. I find that quite reassuring because it, it certainly sort of is what I believe. You decided eventually to um, set up on your own business and start off. I mean, tell me about that. I mean, because that's, you were still very young at the time. I mean, you're still very young now, but how old were you then? I was 25. Right. So you'd been in London four years. That's mm -hmm. not that long. And 25 is really not that old. So what was behind that decision? Well, I've also, and I never imagined to even open my own salon in the first place. But behind the decision was actually my husband, Jermaine. He is a, a black British guy. And I'd met him when I came to London. And he and I, I think, would probably, you know, just to share you a little bit about my romance, what, what he and I probably <laughs> had in common is we're very reliable. I really, I liked him because he shared similar values to me. He was reliable. He was a hard worker. He'd also not gone to university, but he holds a very senior role in finance in London or now in Amsterdam. He'd had a similar journey where he didn't go academic, but he is he's not lesser than anyone that he works with, although he's never gone to university. And he would always pick me up from working and see my clients, see the hair, see how we interact. And he would say, Fabian, you always have the most beautiful customers coming out. They're always glowing. You always want to improve certain things in the business. Because as a German, you know, I would come home and I'd say they should use better products. They should change this a little bit as you would. So he said, let's put it to the test and let's open our own place. And you can be the master of the decisions of what to get, which of course was a daunting task at first. <laughs> but yeah, he was the driving force behind it. And he saw in me, of course, the same drive. And he knew that it was going to be a success. He knew I wasn't going to let him down. Yeah. And he knew that just by my whole way of working and my attitude, it was going to be a great business. And just to interject there, I mean, it, interesting, his observation of you when he came to collect you or wait for you after work on an evening when you were still working in the other salon and uh, especially because he's not a hairdresser you know but he but he was able to spot that you had a certain approach that made you stand out you know just before we go on to the success of your own business did you try and ever sort of make changes when you were working in other people's salons I mean did you you know when you used to sort of say I wish they used different products or we could do this better or that might work better, as you say, very German in a very German way. How did that go if you tried? Well, I, I think I, every salon that I've worked in, I was quickly put in charge of training some of the juniors based on my attitude and where I'd come from. But, oh. you know, I, I would always say it was rather than saying change your whole product range, it would be me coming and saying, 
in Germany, this is why we do certain things. And this is the result we get to make it a success in case there's ever a color that goes wrong. Whereas sometimes with the British hairdressers, it was a lot about feeling and making sure and thinking, oh, you know, this could work and it could work. But in Germany, we would be much more about not taking the risk and going a very secure route. So these would be my inputs to always change the salon kind of the attitude of problem cases where something might have not gone right. They would rely on me to go, okay, this is the technical way to make sure this is a perfect result. Because at the end of the day, of course, for a customer, the result was important. Right. So if, if a color had gone wrong on somebody's hair, so they got orange hair instead of brown hair, it would be sort of, come on, Fabian, we need the German over here to sort this out. Where's Fabian <laughs> with, his, with his techniques? <laughs> right. Okay. That's, no, that's quite interesting. But I think these are the important things you learn because only the really, really tricky bits that every hairdresser who, who is maybe not like or anyone who is manual who is maybe not confident in, these are the, the ones that will really teach you a lesson and really further your knowledge. Yeah. So by only doing the safe haircuts and, you know, the quick fringe trims, you're never going to evolve. So I was at the same time as teaching the tricks from Germany, I was also making sure that people understood why, you know, they, they have to make sure that they learn these and not just rely on me to come and fix the issue, but really want to change. And I think I did... Every place that I've worked in, I always made sure that I left and I left a lot of knowledge at the place. All right. Okay. So, well, you started, you and Jermaine decided that uh, you were going to make sure that you both benefited from your effort, knowledge and expertise rather than other people making money from you. And you found somewhere and decided, tell me about, you know, the place that you found and how you went about getting yourself started and off the ground. Yes. So we actually, we lived in Lambeth at the time and I worked in the West End. So we were thinking, well, if there's business that we start with the client base that I had had at the time, we have to have something that is not too far from the West End. So we thought, well, Lambeth is, is just across the river. So it's perfect. So we found a beautiful place in, in Lambeth. It was, it was a council place. So it was kind of like a first come first serve. It was an old cobbler's. It was quite dirty and derelict. So I don't think a lot of people who visited the property saw the diamond in the rough as much as we did, because as soon as we went into the place, I think me and Jermaine, we immediately had ideas where everything was going to go, where the basin goes. It was a diamond in the rough that we found in Lambeth. Right. And and I do think it's, you know, it's worth emphasizing that the property was previously occupied by a cobbler, so not a previous hairdresser. So you really were starting from scratch because it wasn't like you were benefiting from, you know, people already knowing that there was a hairdresser there and and you know so it's it just puts the makes the challenge all the more greater for you as a as a small business owner really and did you have to take out loans and that sort of thing did you find any challenges you know in sort of getting whatever it was that you needed the various you know financial backing or whatever it was that was necessary was all of that straightforward Oh, so it was absolutely not straightforward. <laughs> it was the complete opposite. Of course, I come from a hairdressing background and my husband, he came from a finance background, but we, you know, we've never opened a business or, you know, we don't, we, we had no idea where to start at the first moment. So after a lot of research, we wrote our own business plan. And like I said, because we share similar values, you know, I would say we, we need to put this in. Jermaine would come with, with his ideas. We'd have a solid business plan would then meet the banks and talk about a loan. But 
I guess we, we weren't really kind of the most eligible for the bank. So in the end, we ended up taking out a loan, which wasn't really a business loan because, well, we weren't really the most eligible businessmen as, as such. What, why was that? Why did you think you were not the most eligible for the business loans? So I think as hairdressers, I mean, hairdressing is such, uh, especially because we went to a place, there has not been a hairdresser before. There was no client base. You know, a lot of the times when you open a hair salon, you count the footfall. We couldn't do it because there was no footfall. So we were going with a blank canvas, a great business plan, and kind of me behind the business plan because I was the hairdresser, Jermaine being the brains behind it, me being the face of it. Like I said, we didn't get a business loan for it. So we ended up kind of taking out a wedding loan as such, which was just a personal loan to be able to fund the works that needed to be done in the property because it was an old cobbler. It was really dirty. It wasn't equipped to be a salon. And our vision was to turn it into this beautiful Victorian living room. So we needed a little bit of a capital to start getting the ball rolling. We knew that once it opens the charm and my skill and kind of everything about it would create a client base, but it was just getting it off the ground. That was a bit tricky. Right. Gosh. And how long, what was the time frame between deciding to start your business and its opening? I think we decided we were going to open a business in February and then put, put the nails in the, on the head around March April, we found the property and June was our opening day. So we had we, everyone who we've spoken to said, guys, give it five years, wait a bit. And we were like, no, 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 we're ready. We're doing it now. The area that you were in Lambeth, I mean, it, we're going back to sort of 2012 when you opened the business. I mean, it's changed quite a bit in the last nine years, really. I mean, it, it wasn't, I mean, as you say, it's only just over the river, but I mean, it was still sort of, wasn't fashionable, that sort of small patch, let's put it that way. But going back to the, the shared standards that you and Jermaine have, what did you discuss about how you were going to make this business a success? You've clearly, as you say, you've got the technical skills, you are a hairdresser, you're a very qualified hairdresser, you know what you're doing. That's not in any way in doubt. But you were successful in that business what do you put that down to? And did you think about it consciously from the start? We knew that we wanted to open a different kind of business because, like I said, I came from a very high standard back in Germany. I started working at salons that were also quite high standard over here in London. So our business couldn't be lesser then, even though it was not in the West End. So our initial idea was also to make sure we give the West End service for an affordable price because we were further out. Needless to say, the salon was always spotless. You know, we have, and I have, of course, a high expectation to make sure that, you know, anyone who comes in, it's spotless. Everything is, there's no tears anywhere. You know, the coffee is delicious. There's fresh biscuits, fresh flowers. It has to be an experience when you come. Otherwise, you know, we're no different to anyone else that just opens any old hair salon. So we, you know, we called ourselves the hair boutique because it was a, personalized service when somebody would come in we'd only had three chairs so we always made sure that there was maximum two people at the time in so that you would really feel like somebody was actually taking care and really listening to what you were doing I mean our clients ranged from any sort of profession but you would have never noticed you know no one was treated any different and no one treated us any different either that we were just hairdressers as such it was a great giving and taking 
And of course, I come from a, a place where I'd always had loads of girlfriends say to me, Fabian, they did this with my hair, they did this with my hair. So I was a very good listener as a hairdresser. If somebody would say, Fabian, cut off a centimeter, I wouldn't just cut off five. People could come into the place and trust that we were going to do the best to the highest standard possible. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I'd started coming to you as a, as a client, I think it was probably about a year after you'd opened. The sort of things I know, you know, I felt were very much on display and I was very aware of when I started coming to the salon was that if I agreed to an appointment with you, you were never late, you know, and that's such a simple thing. But, you know, as many people who may be listening to this will testify quite often you can make an appointment to hairdressers at you know whatever time it may be 10 o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon and they don't always start on time because i guess whether it's the clients that have let them down during the day whatever the case may be but that was never the case with you you were always always on schedule Yes, of course. I mean, that also goes back to being back in Germany when, you know, you are taught that your client base, the time that each individual person has with you, you know, time is money and their time is my responsibility. So I never thought, who am I to be late for someone? I'm usually 10 minutes early or 15, the typical German stereotype, but it's just what you're taught. You're just, you're always just taught to be on time, to be a, a little early, if not a bit on time. And I knew that people value that because they might have an appointment and you know if I'm running late but if you have a meeting to go to and you know somebody knew I was getting to Fabian at one o'clock it had to be at one o'clock. Your shop was on the the salon was on a small parade of shops and I mean you know they've changed somewhat in the time that you were there but I mean I know that you also you took pride in terms of your own shop's exterior appearance not just that which was inside I mean you know tell me about the fact that you were sweeping out sweeping at the front of the shop and you were setting the standards as it were for others to follow that's right I think and I mean I don't know if it's the same in the UK but in Germany even residential house you're responsible for your own sidewalk so for example if it's fall and there's a lot of leaves which might be slippery my mum, when I was five years old, she would say, Fabian, take the broom, go outside and sweep the sidewalk because somebody might fall and then, you know, we'll be in trouble. Then as soon as you start working, it's important that from the moment the salon is viewed by anyone, it has to look spotless and it has to look inviting and it has to look clean. So we made sure that even the outside, you know, I think we might have painted every six months a little bit around our frame. It was always swept, you know, if there was... If there, was, if there was snow, we'd make sure it was cleared or we'd, we'd put pebbles down. It was just the experience didn't start inside. The experience started as soon as you viewed our salon. And that yeah. was what was important to us. And things like, you know, you had the windows cleaned and all that sort of thing, which was not Every necessarily week. the case for others on the parade. But that started to change over time. And we've talked about what the area was like when you arrived. I mean, it started to improve. We noticed there was a shift and a change because you know we had the most beautiful shop on the road but you know we've also invested lots of you know blood sweat and tears so let's throw forward then so after you know doing well and your client base i mean yes you had some clients already but you grew your client base and then there was a point at which lambeth council decided to increase your rent tell us about that and what happened and how you reacted to their decision. 
Yes, our lease was up um, two years ago, and then I think it, it had been up before, but we renegotiated at the time, and then it was up again. But of course, by then the area had become much more desirable. So the new lease they were giving us was, I think, maybe thirty percent more in terms of rent. I think at the beginning almost fifty percent more. It was it was an astonishing increase. When we then had correspondence with someone in Lambeth, they would say, "Well." Nowadays, a shop could go for this price. I know from our conversations at the time, it had a big impact on you. It had a big effect. Yeah, I mean, to be quite blunt, of course, we we put our heart and soul into the business, and you know, we weren't doing it to become rich. What are these guys doing for the area? What what benefit are they bringing? You know, the whole area looked nicer, and it was cleaner, of course. I mean, in the end, when we left, we even though we furnished the whole place, we even had to. Pay because we took our own lights. I think we couldn't have gotten a bigger kick up the backside. Well, that is. I mean, I think that's disappointing. I think it's disappointing, clearly for you and and for your customers. But I think it's it's a disappointing reflection on people who are in positions of responsibility and authority, not showing great understanding and respect for those that are you know, working hard, doing all the right things, bring with them to their work a set of standards which mean that not only are they good at what they do, but actually people in receipt of that service, you know, get something which is, you know, of high quality and importance. So you did leave London and as we've already heard, you've you've moved now with Jermaine to Amsterdam. Jermaine had got a new job. Um- Came over here and when I started working here, I realized, should we open another salon? You know, we had we had actually looked at properties here in Amsterdam to do a similar thing to what we did in London. But then we thought, well, we might be treated just badly again, even though over here it might be a different point of view. But, you know, who knows when you're jaded from the past, it takes a while to recover first. So we were wary of doing it again. And I decided to go into a more corporate job as such, doing working for an energy company it's the easier choice with less heart that needs to go into it like we did with our salon. You're a big loss to me anyway, Fabian. And <laughs> But I'm pleased that you are doing well over there in Amsterdam, as is Jermaine too. And, and most importantly, that you're happy. That's the main thing. And I'm grateful to you for letting us talk and me record this conversation. And the next time we speak, I'm sure we will not be sitting, looking at each other with, with headphones on. But, and maybe once, um, once we've got free from COVID, I can come over and you can give me a tour of Amsterdam and, and show me the highlights. Of course, it was such a pleasure to be on here. And even without me, Tina, you look as stunning as ever. Even oh. though no one can see you. <laughs> I'd love well, to that, show you. Oh, well, thank you. Well, on that note, thanks again, Fabian. And I'll speak to you soon, okay? Speak to you soon. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Learning how Germans take seriously technical training and how they take seriously tradesmen and people who have a skill reinforces something I've always believed, which is that you get out what you put in. But what Fabian's story tells us is that here in the UK, we don't just need better quality technical training. We need those of us in positions of authority to start taking more seriously anyone who is clearly working hard to make a success of themselves. Because in the end, if we're serious about levelling up, bridging divides and just being more successful as a country, 
it isn't only people who work with their hands who still have a lot to learn. The academically qualified need to start thinking differently. Thanks again for listening. If you found this episode interesting, do share it with others who might be interested in these and in the other themes we're covering in the rest of this series. Take care and bye for now.